Spring was always my favorite time of year. Not for the anticipated thaw or the bloom of new flowers. Nope, I love spring because it meant an annual trip to the Ebony Fashion Fair. One of my childhood aunties was an active member of Alpha Kappa Alpha, or AKA, a historically black sorority that had a Hudson Valley chapter. The organization made sure that little brown girls like me were able to see runway models who not only looked like us, but could stomp the catwalk in the fiercest styles of the late 80s. It was a transformative experience, and as a 10-year-old, I rushed home to tell my mother that I wanted to do that when I grew up. Fashion can be a tough career, especially for a black woman. At the time, I didn't understand that my mother's bubble-bursting comment wasn't born out of haterism, but more from a place of realistic concern and a desire to prevent my heart from getting broken. It wasn't until decades later, after building a career in the equally fraught world of news media, that I finally understood what she meant. The fashion industry thrives on exclusivity for the white elite, yet struggles to reflect the true diversity of its global customer base. Welcome to the Metro Focus podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Flanagan. There's no denying that there's been a significant increase in the diversity of models we see on billboards, in magazines, and on runways, so much so that little girls of all backgrounds can see a model whose body and skin looks like they will one day, promoted as the pinnacle of American beauty. But what about behind the scenes? The global apparel industry generates about a trillion and a half dollars annually, with women accounting for more than half the market share. So shouldn't women be the driving force behind the industry? I'm Samantha Barry. I'm the editor-in-chief of Glamour in the U.S. Glamour is one of the 19 periodicals, or media brands, published by Condé Nast. However, for Samantha, she says Glamour is meant to be a media hub centered on women. All women. For us, it's about people seeing themselves in fashion and seeing things that seem, for us, more accessible than aspirational. Um, and we are very, very committed to telling, honestly, some of the more underrepresented stories in fashion. For most women, myself included, finding clothes that fit and flatter can be a lifelong quest because over half of American women, again, myself included, are over a size 10. And despite the spending prowess of the full-figured, curvy, or even thick population of women, Samantha says catering or even acknowledging this customer base is often met with resistance. You know, sometimes when you talk about size inclusiveness, you'll get an answer back about, you know, well, the pattern changes when you take it above a certain size. I think it's bullshit. I've had some interesting conversations with designers and retailers, and um, I've had conversations with retailers who tell me when they put anything uh, in their store that's over a size 10, it sells out within minutes, right? I've had designers tell me that some people buy um, two size sixes of their clothes and sew them together. And that's, for me, a really interesting, like, the market is there, especially when we're talking about size inclusiveness. The mark, the 67% of the women in America are oversized, 10 or 12, I think, and they have money to spend. And I think fashion needs to honestly catch up. When you go to a fashion magazine, women are running that. When you go to the business side of that magazine, a lot of times men are running it. So if you look at the big publishing houses, who, who are running them? Men. So it's still very much a boys club, even though the editorial voice is often driven by women. 
Lauren Sherman is the chief correspondent for a trade publication called The Business of Fashion. To Lauren, the reason why fashion companies continue to stumble or even blindly walk into issues of diversity and inclusiveness is really quite simple. The industry is comes from a place of privilege. If you look at the top of American retail, for instance, almost all of those CEOs are 50-year-old white men. In terms of, of or 60-year-old white men, <laughs> um, in terms of diversity, it's, it's not good either, especially when you climb up the senior ranks. In the past few years, there has been more of an effort to bring in more voices, whether that's on a design team or on an editorial team, because the product is just better. And while there are numerous examples of companies ignoring the double-digit-sized woman, Lauren says the industry could no longer ignore the persistent omission by a certain underwear retailer. If you look at what's happening at Victoria's Secret, it's a really interesting example because you have every publication from the, you know, Instagram influencer to the New York Times is coming out and saying that Victoria's Secret needs to change. It, it depicts women in a way that it doesn't feel appropriate for our era. It's misogynistic. It's, you know, all of these things and, and that the consumer is not responding anymore to, to their, their idea of, of what sexy is. She says the company's senior creative, Ed Razek, has been incredibly resistant to change, particularly when it comes to women defining what makes them feel sexy, as opposed to what they have been told men think looks sexy. You know, everything that Victoria's Secret is doing, consumer-facing, feels wrong for this time and, and just the way the culture has changed. And, and their sales reflect that. The sales are going down. He also said there was no interest in a plus-size woman modeling the company's lingerie. But making space for more size inclusivity really isn't that hard. Samantha Berry, Glamour's editor-in-chief, says the key to addressing the needs and marketing to women means putting more of them in charge of the narrative. You have to take a step back as an editor, somebody that's in, responsible for a creative, whether that be an editor of a media brand or somebody that's responsible for the creative of a fashion brand. What does our aesthetic say across the board? How are we talking to different people? How are we really representing? One of the lessons we've learned in Glamour is if we're going to talk about communities or certain people, it's always best if we get a writer or the video maker who's part of that community to tell that story, rather than parachuting in and um, telling that story from an outsider point of view. Staying relevant means using a wider lens, because women aren't just diverse in their body shape and clothing size. As half the global population, Samantha says consumers are demanding cultural and racial diversity as well. Nude is not the nude of past, right? When you're talking about tights or when you're talking about uh, lipstick shades or when you're talking about makeup, depending on what your skin color is, nude is a multitude of different things, right? It's got such a big spectrum and I think you're seeing the fashion and the beauty industry catching up with, it is no one size fits all. 
Samantha says, ensuring that Glamour Magazine's mission of addressing the style needs of the modern-day luxury consumer also means keeping up with the current events that overlap with their coverage of women's issues, work, money, and the law. But progress on inclusion is a two-way street, and one magazine, one fashion line, one advertising campaign can't do it alone. To be frank, it's on the consumer to find their inspiration from places that feel positive rather than negative. So I'll tell a story of a friend of mine who was following, you know, model-esque people on Instagram and then she did this self-audit one day and she's like, no, I am a curvy girl. I'm going to follow body positivity, unretouched, some really funny people. And she said the difference of what, how she curated her media feed just in Instagram changed how she felt about herself every day. And to get, I think there is something about consumers seeking out both in the curation of their social feeds, but also the magazines that they pick up or the sites that they go to. They should be empowering. They should make you feel better about yourself. They should not make you feel worse about yourself, right? <laughs> like, I think that's important. And I think it's a lesson we can all learn. However, fashion's inclusion problem goes much deeper than size inclusivity. I don't know, it's frustrating because a lot of times I think people people have very different feelings about racial diversity than they do size diversity. On the next Metro Focus podcast, I'll continue my conversation on fashion's problem with diversity with Lindsay Peoples, current editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue and former fashion editor of New York Magazine's The Cut. Thank you for listening to the Metro Focus podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud, and please leave a comment or click a review star to help more people find us online. You can also stay up to date with the podcast and everything Metro Focus by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have a story or a subject you think we should know about, drop us an email at metrofocuspodcast at 13.org so we can cover more of the stories you want to hear on the Metro Focus podcast.